Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going well. My week was filled with denominational meetings. Yes. Everyone came to Nashville, didn't they? Uh, well, not everyone. Some people were via video. We'll get to that here in a few minutes. But uh, yes. yeah, most people were in Nashville. It was uh, quite the place to be this past week for Southern Baptists. I uh, have a lot to cover on the executive committee recap. I was there uh, from gavel to gavel, if you will, uh, nice. across the street and uh, sat in a couple of committee meetings even, which things I usually don't do. I usually go to the plenaries, but not the committee meetings. Uh, but this time I uh, did a few of those as well and uh, got to see some of the behind the scenes proceedings. Can't really talk about everything that went on in there, but I can give you a few little observations from those. But uh uh, a good week, a busy week. It, you know, we have this twice a year, and it's it's always fun to have, but it's always good when it's over because uh, that means we got some business done. Absolutely. And speaking of doing business, we want to thank our sponsors this month, Designed to Lead. The new book by authors Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck explains how churches that consistently produce leaders have a strong conviction to develop leaders, a healthy culture for leadership development, and helpful constructs to systematically and intentionally build leaders. All three are essentials for leaders to be formed through the ministry of a local church. To pick up your copy and to get your free resources related to the book, visit designedtolead.com. Amy, you uh, had your book now, a copy of that for a couple of weeks. Any chance you've gotten into it yet? No, I've actually, I'm taking a couple of classes right now. And so I'm really kind of, yes. On what? I am. I didn't know this. I'm taking um, systematic theology or I guess Christian theology one okay. with John Hammett. And uh, Baptist history with Keith Harper. Hmm. Very cool. So I didn't know this. So I'm, um, yeah. You know, I actually started a program back in the day and uh, took some great classes at Southern Seminary with some incredible professors. And so I'm kind of picking back up just a little bit uh, here. And all that free time that you have. Right. A lot of free time um, between swim practice and flag football and work and all sorts of other things. But um, anyway, so I've been really knee deep in uh, theology and history and, and lots of other stuff going on along with uh, communications related things I've been reading. So, um, and a, a good novel the other day too, but it's in my little basket that I have with all my books and I'm hoping to pick it up maybe this weekend to get it started. Well, very cool. I've got a interview with the uh, the two authors next week, so I've got to pick it up. And I, I've read bits and pieces of it, but I really need to get more into the content before uh, I interview them for Dr. Rainer's podcast next week. So Nice. All right. Well, as always, we're giving away a free copy of Design to Lead. First person that tweets to us. We had a few people last week tweet to us, and uh, we had some people that I couldn't send the book to because they were not first. So maybe they can get in this week. Uh, so, But we did have a winner last jump week. In. Lou Ann Emmerich won from El Dorado, Arkansas this past week. So uh, congrats to Lou Ann for winning last week's copy of Design to Lead. So tweet us at SBC this week, and we will send the first person that tweets us a signed copy from Eric Geiger. Nice. And Go for I, it. And I think I have to give Lizette Beard a copy, too, because she was complaining about that. Well, what she said was, when she listened to last week's episode, and I, you had one set aside for me, 
And then I ended up getting another copy. She said, I want her copy. So I'm going to ask that you, uh, I want to defer, I want to designate my copy uh, that you had set aside for Lizette. Okay. I think we can get into that. I, th- I think I can make that happen. So the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention met this past Monday and Tuesday here in Nashville. People from all over the country flew in. Amy, a uh, quick reminder for our listeners What's the difference in the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee and the other Board of Trustees? Well, so the Executive Committee is kind of an entity in itself. It's the executive entity of the convention. It handles any kind of things that are not committed to a particular board or entity. So things that are specific to LifeWay, there's a board that handles those for LifeWay. Things that are specific... Uh, to NAM or IMB or the seminaries that's specific to those things. But there are some things. I mean, there when we talk about where we meet, yeah. um, choosing convention sites, when we talk about our um, our bylaws as a convention, they're representing uh, the messengers because the messengers only gather two days a year. So you got to have someone that is able to help manage things uh, throughout the year. Cooperative so, program disbursements, uh, different right. things like that. So. Uh, right, the, things like that. The other 363, basically. Yeah, they're almost like everybody's kind of got their spot in the for, uh, in the Everybody's kind of got their tree, and the executive committee's looking at the whole forest yeah. and making sure it's all running. So, so the executive committee members uh, met this past week, heard reports from all the agencies of the Southern Baptist Convention, except for the Southern Baptist Foundation. Warren Peake wasn't able to make it. I think he was ill and uh, wasn't able to make it for the meetings, but uh, that was the Southern Baptist Foundation. And also heard the the final report from Wanda Lee, who is retiring from the WMU, had a video from Sandy Wisdom Martin, who had uh, a Texas WMU board meeting that she couldn't miss. That was her final one over there. So uh, Sandy sent a, a video greeting to the executive committee. Also, Steve Gaines, uh, not present. He was on a speaking engagement in Louisiana on Tuesday, was not able to make it Monday or Tuesday to the executive committee meetings, but did send a video greeting and uh, a word to uh, the convention. There's a story in Baptist Press specifically about that video, uh, but some business was done this week, Amy. Yes, I actually heard several things out of it. There were uh, some some tweets, a handful of people that were active on social media, and then obviously the Baptist Press stories uh, have been trickling out, but I was tracking with SVC this week, live tweeting in there, uh, and uh, hearing things from you as well. So definitely seemed to be a very busy couple of days. Yes, it was. So I uh, started off Monday afternoon, had some work group meetings. Uh, they, they have the big committee, then they have subcommittees, then they have work groups. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you stack them up there. I was at the work group meeting for the bylaws work group, sat in on that uh, in relation to SBC bylaw 18. Uh, expanding the representation that eventually passed the work group and the subcommittee and the executive committee. Um, after it was, it was probably the one debated thing during the entire meeting. Uh, there was some some good debate about that, uh, whether or not it opens up you know loopholes or anything to the future, uh, and that that came up in the plenary as well. Uh, a, a spirited debate in the plenary session that ended in a probably about a 60-40 vote in favor of this. This is mm-hmm. the third time this has been brought to the executive committee. It was originally brought last February, then again in June. Uh, never really made it to the full committee then, uh, and then this time uh, was pushed through to the full committee. 
and voted and, and passed, and it will go to the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in June for final approval. Also discussed in some of those work groups were the possible amending to the Constitution to require cooperating churches to relate to Southern Baptist state conventions and associations. Another request from this past annual meeting uh, requiring nomination speeches to include information on CP giving and another request on a bylaw amendment to the announcement of nominees by the Committee on Nominations. Three resolutions come from the communications work group to the full board uh, that were approved as well on Tuesday. Uh, those were in appreciation of Fermin Whitaker, Fred Hewitt, and Cecil Siegel, three executive directors from states who have retired in the past uh, few months. And we've covered those here on the podcast, as well as an amendment to the executive committee media policy that was passed as well. There's a story on Baptist Press as well about that. A couple other notes from the work groups. Uh, the fundraising reports uh, were given from the different SBC entities that are in conducting fundraising in Southeastern uh, was approved a, a fundraising plan. And then also there was an amendment to the business and financial plan number 19, uh, just kind of updating some language to so the film publications. And they all, it seemed like everybody got a kick out of uh, the fact that we had a section in the business and financial plan on film strips. So some updated language there. I remember film strips. I think they still have a place. No, they don't. They have a place in the library and that's it. So um, we have PowerPoint I, I, and we I, have videos and DVDs now. I now have all these memories that are popping up in my head of these film strips from elementary school. Yes. And now yeah. we have PowerPoint and DVDs and... That's so sad. That. My children are deprived. No, they're, they're blessed, actually. Uh, and then finally, uh, Convention Arrangements Work Group passed a request to provide ribbons to veterans and active duty personnel. That was something did that they came really? up. They did. Uh, so that'll be available. And then they also approved the 2026 and 2028 convention sites, uh, which are Orlando and Indianapolis, respectively, and uh, provided a 3% raise to Frank Page and the rest of the executive committee employees. So that's kind of all the business. That's great. And I am really excited about the the veteran one. Okay. Um, Why is that? Be because uh, the person that made the motion for that um, was, uh, uh, first of all, it was a female, which doesn't happen very often. We don't have very okay. many women that make motions at the SBC. That is true. And um, she was a Southeastern student from the class that I was co-teaching. Oh, Okay. So um, she actually approached me or, or maybe sent me a message and said, I am thinking about making a motion about this. And so I kind of knew that she might uh, go to the microphone. And then next thing you know, there she was. So I'm excited to hear that that got approved by the executive committee. Mm -hmm. Yep, it did. I'll have to tell her. And we also... Well, uh, she listened to the pod, so she might find out on this, which oh. will really be exciting. Well, it so. should have been in the uh, the release, so... Uh, because yeah, it, was, she, it made it well, to the full board and everything. So Yeah, well, she reads Baptist Press, she loves it, and uh, she listens to the pod. So congrats, Victoria, for that passing. Yeah, very cool. Okay, and also, Amy, I mentioned that we had entity reports. Now, this, that was the fascinating part because we heard from Dr. Rayner. Uh, he gave uh, a quick report on the state of Lifeway and the move and everything. Also presented $713,000 in checks to IMB and NAM uh, total. Uh, not not each, but total from uh, the the gifts from the campers this past summer. We had 140,000 campers this past summer wow. at Lifeway Camps. Just amazing number. 
and uh, collect offerings for that every year. And there's a formula breakdown, like certain camps, the money goes to certain, you know, to IMBs, other camps, the money goes to uh, NAM, and some of them are, you know, kind of split 60-40 or something like that. I don't know the exact designations, but uh, some around 400 and something thousand to IMB, 200 and something thousand to NAM. So it was pretty awesome to, to hear that and those numbers. Uh, biggest gift I think we've ever given IMB, and, and NAMS was kind of on par with uh, what we've seen in the past. So heard from That's him. exciting. Heard from Dr. Page as well. He talked about the increase in cooperative program giving, and it was kind of ironic. Uh, the Monday that we met, and Dr. Page gave that, that is when we had met the budget for CP giving for the year, that day. So everything from that day forward was going to be, you know, kind of lanyap or, you know, extra. So September the 19th, nice. we met our budget goal for the end of the month, end of the year. I... I, that's really awesome, and I seriously want to commend uh, Lifeway for that. I also want to commend you for working Lanyap into that Good Louisiana um, description. Boy right here. Yes. Well done. Well so that, done. that's what I think of whenever somebody he said that. I was like, oh, so the rest of it's just Lanyap, and I'm like, nobody else understands really? that word. Really? So. Like you think you think in that word? Yes. That's wow. I mean, it's I got nothing. Louisiana, you know. It's, it's no, part of me. I don't, no, you don't. But, know, yeah. Yeah. Cheatham County is n not the same, Amy. So. I lived in Robertson County. I was a half mile over the county line. It was Robertson County. Okay. No offense to Cheatham County. That was my post office, grocery store, all of that is in Cheatham County. Love, have friends there. But Robertson County, that's where I'm from. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Other entity reports heard from Dr. Ezel at NAM about all the stuff, the amazing stuff that's going on with them. Uh, also, a little preview of the SIN conferences in 2017. And they're going to have one big SIN conference in 2019. So it looks like, you know, kind of every other year. They're doing the three regionals in 17. And then in 19, they'll have one big one in Atlanta, he mentioned in his report. And then Dr. Platt talked about IMB and their financial um, status. And he says... And I think the quote was, by God's grace, in 2017, we will be operating within our means financially, uh, which what, what we've seen over the past few years, that's uh, quite, a, quite a feat, an amazing job for them. Uh, they've done a great job getting things in order over there at IMB. And uh, he also kind of outlined what multiple pathways looks like. So uh, the, the big thing is them connecting with people who are already going overseas, getting them connected with missionaries in the region and, and turning teams of two into teams of eight and ten uh, based nice. on, you know, uh, where you, you're only paying two missionaries, but you got ten missionaries there because they're connecting with other people who are already there for other jobs and being missionaries and training them as well. So uh, really cool stuff from him. ERLC heard all about the great things that they are doing, the Evangelicals for Life, as well as all the other things through the religious liberties uh, fights that they're going. And ERLC also presented Guidestone President O.S. Hawkins with the uh, the John Leland Award. I think we had talked about that, that they had awarded it to him uh, last month at their meeting, but presented it to him at the executive committee meeting. That was kind of cool to see that as well. Nice. Nice. Very deserving. Yes. And then uh, the, the seminaries. Heard from the seminaries. Dr. Orge, his, uh, his basic one line was, we've moved. So that was pretty cool. Nice. And he outlined like what it took for them to move, how long it took, and they, they beat their schedules, and just all the different types of things that they had to do because they had like staging areas on campus at Golden Gate up in Mill Valley and then had to bring everything down to uh, Ontario 
and then unpack it all and get everything set up again. So it was kind of wild how that happened. And, That's crazy. And in a strange twist, the the building that they have in Ontario, square footage for classroom space, administrative, all that is bigger than all the square footage and everything that they had at Mill Valley. They just had a big campus, but the space of the rooms and everything it wasn't as big as what they have now. That's pretty fascinating. I read that and was just kind of amazed. But, you know, we just use space differently now. Yeah. In, I mean, he's, he's built a, or they, they have a campus now for the future of higher education in a very, you know, kind of transient area instead of your, your classic type big sprawling campus, you know, old buildings, those kind of things. So uh, a, a lot of different uh, perspective coming from Gateway. Also heard from Midwestern Seminary President Dr. Jason Allen and just the incredible growth those guys have seen up there as well as uh, at Southern Seminary. Dr. Muller was given numbers on, you know, 2,200 MDiv students this past year, which is just wow. mind-blowing. Um, so just incredible growth there at Southern, at Midwestern. Your president, Dr. Aiken, spoke uh, talked to a few about a few things going on there, just the incredible numbers you guys are seeing out there at Southeastern as well. Dr. Patterson spoke about uh, the archaeology program. He highlighted that in his talk. Uh, and there's actually a story this way. He, he alluded to the story. And uh, I'm going to kind of jump ahead in the script here, Amy. You've got that in front of you. But there was yes. a story this week coming out of Southwestern on Christianity discoveries in Kazakhstan. He alluded to that during his report. So tell us a little bit about what they found over there in Kazakhstan. Okay, so this is from uh, uh, from one of their professors, uh, Tom Davis, professor of archaeology and biblical backgrounds at Southwestern and chair of uh, the archaeology department. And what they're saying is um, that some new uh, excavations have uncovered the city of I don't know if I'm going to be able to say this right I feel like someone's going to end up calling us um, it Ilin Balik Ilin Balik I, if, maybe if I say it like five different ways then one of them will count um, let's just Isn't say that the girl that played Blossom <laughs> Maya Bialik <laughs> oh my bad sorry Wow. Well done. Uh, it was a very old city. We'll just leave it at that. Yes. And uh, so there have been some excavations. It's near China. Yeah, 60 kilometers um, from and, the Chinese border. Yeah, and so they've uncovered it and uncovered a cemetery with eight gravestones. And it is the first archaeological evidence of a Christian community inside uh, Kazakhstan, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, it's... Uh, to a, basically a local resident um, a couple of years ago had reported discovering an inscribed stone that was marked with a cross. And uh, so it, it was recovered, but the uh, says the original location wasn't known. So there was this big team that starts sort of investigating and they discovered this city they'd never found before. They discovered this uh, these gravestones, and they all have these uh, crosses on them. Um, two of them have some uh, f inscriptions, fragments, and then they they even help with figuring out more about the other stone. Um, and there's another professor of Old Testament at Southwestern, uh, Ryan Stokes, who has even been able to kind of decipher some of that. 
um, found uh, the date around 1162 AD. Uh, One of the things I loved, though, was this quote at the end of the story in Southwestern's news release that the Christian community uh, locally there uh, is very excited. And one person said, nobody can tell me that I don't have Christian roots. I thought that was kind of neat. So. And those Nestorian crosses on the gravestones, I mean, it's clear as day in the pictures. Yeah. Uh, it's oh, pretty, yeah, you can see it. It's pretty neat. So uh, yep, congratulations to them on, on this discovery. And uh, this is what Dr. Patterson was alluding to in his report. He didn't want to kind of give away everything, but you could tell he was really excited about this. That's kind of it for the executive committee. There was a, a lot going on this week and um, a lot in those couple of days in the plenary sessions and the work groups. So, uh so we will uh, do that again, I think, in February or March. Usually toward the end of February, there's another executive committee meeting here in Nashville, and we'll hear some more reports then. So moving on, big news out of ERLC. They kind of uh, tipped us off to this a few weeks ago, but Travis Wusso has been named the ERLC vice president for public policy and will uh, kind of transition from their international office in the Middle East over to the D.C. office and lead that one. Yeah, so he's been on their team uh, for a little while as the Director of International Justice and Religious Liberty. Uh, So has, like you just said, served in the Middle East and started their first international office, but now he will be back stateside uh, and will be succeeding Barrett Duke. Yep, so Barrett is headed to Montana. That'll be made official at the Montana State Convention later this fall. Uh, their executive committee has voted unanimously on him. It just has to have state approval. They they have to uh, approve that at the state convention meeting. Uh, so that's why this uh, was delayed from the Barrett-Duke announcement. Wusu, only 33, is uh, probably one of the youngest vice presidents in the SBC and also the best haircut of any vice president oh i bet you think so yes i bet you think so so congratulations to travis on his appointment and uh, he'll be headed back to dc uh from overseas where he was stationed before so some news out of lifeway this week and we talked about it a couple weeks ago the insanity of god had a huge box office uh back in august for that one night event on august 30th had another encore showing which pushed box office receipts to more than $1.1 million. Just an incredible, incredible response to this. And uh, looking forward to what will happen this fall whenever the DVDs come out, as well as the church uh, license. That's fantastic. And this is this is a story that really just needs to be out there. Um, so seeing this, uh, it's not just exciting for ticket sales. It's just exciting to know that people are being exposed Um to something of this magnitude, uh, and and I hope that it spurs a heart for missions uh, in people. That's kind of hard not to. I, I've everybody I've talked to about this have just been blown away by it. So it, it's just been an incredible story, and and the Ripkins themselves, they are just incredible. People. Oh, they're Nick amazing, Ruth, and I know they've been at Southeastern. Uh, they've been to Lifeway a few times yes. too. So we, I've gotten to know them and see them and meet them and just incredible couple, incredible story. And uh, we're going to have a couple of simulcasts to churches this fall in November before the release of uh, the DVD. I think the DVD release is right around Black Friday. So, you know, kind of Christmas time-ish. You'll be able to pick that DVD up this fall. I highly encourage you and your churches to check that out and uh, maybe show that in your church, especially around, you know, that, that uh, Lottie Moon time. When we're talking about international missions yes. as well. So 
So be a great way for your church to uh, really understand what it means to to live on mission overseas uh, for the sake of the gospel. Moving on, uh, Midwestern, and uh, this is kind of sad news. There, John Howell, who was one of the original faculty members of Midwestern Seminary, uh, and was an administrator for years and years. Uh, he passed away on September 6th at age 92 after a short illness. Yeah, he was on staff there at Midwestern nearly 40 years, 1960 it's to amazing. 1999. Uh, it served as, uh, you mentioned that he was a professor. He also served as dean of the faculty and VP for academic affairs at the Kansas City, Missouri uh, Seminary. So our prayers go out to the Howell family. Uh, also in Missouri, the uh, something that we've kind of touched on here and there, the Missouri Baptist Foundation, their appeal oh, to the yeah. Missouri Supreme Court was declined. Therefore, yeah. pretty much ending the Missouri Baptist Foundation's attempts to uh, separate from the Missouri Baptists, and they will come back into the Missouri Baptist purview after 14 years of litigation. Wow, and this was the story. You were on top of this one because you've been tracking this for ever and ever, I think. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that it's been going on 14 years. But, uh, you know, it's it's pretty much done now. The foundation has $150 million in assets, and that will all be headed back to the Missouri Baptists. So uh, John Yates and them, I think, maybe finally put a bow on this one, and it is done. So that's going to do it for the news this week. A busy week in the SPC, all kind of condensed into that one big meeting earlier this week. But uh, some other news and notes that we covered. And so uh, that'll bring us on to my favorite part of the week this week in SPC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right, we're going to go to 1953. Um, which this is always going to be an interesting time uh, in SBC history because it, it's right around the time executive committee always is. So there are plenty of nuggets to find. This one, though, uh, was when in a called session, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention voted to approve Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary's request to borrow $150,000 to complete payment on a $400,000 site on the San Francisco Bay area. Wow. And they turned that yeah. into an $85 million purchase price. Uh, yeah. This past there's year. so, so That's many amazing. nuggets. Yeah. So many nuggets in this. Uh, one interesting one is that the sentence here uh, that says, and remember this is being written in 1953. It says uh, to complete payment on a $400,000 site on the San Francisco Bay area for the seminary's permanent location. Until so here we are. Asterisk, until nineteen uh, or until two thousand sixteen. That's right. Uh, which of course they you know they didn't know. Uh, but it's interesting to read stories like this that were written at the time and then to be sitting here now and, and looking at at what's happened and the excitement around what's happened. Um, so it, it was said one hundred thirty acres, uh, four miles north of Golden Gate Bridge. The Board of Trustees obtained an option on the piece of property. The action of the executive committee allowed them to complete the transaction all at once. Um, this was interesting. It says the first improvements on the property, which was once offered by San Francisco as the site for the United Nations. Wow. I know. Wow. That's kind of unique. Just kind of letting that sink in and realize that at one time it was thought that that might be where the United Nations would be. Um, but it's in New York. Uh, the, 
that's where Golden Gate Seminary went. So the first improvements were going to be road utility lines, um, and they were going to uh, be prepared to kind of give full picture of the cost at the later meeting. But I thought it was really neat when that popped up because I thought, well, we had a just a full circle. Um, it kind of this was the beginning of the story, and then uh, the report this time after the move, and they've begun sort of a new chapter. Uh, in the life of what is now Gateway Seminary. Uh, but in some ways, as that chapter has closed, uh, it all started this week in SBC history. That's really cool. And yeah. uh, and now they're, that permanent campus is not in Mill Valley anymore. So it's down right. in Ontario. So very cool. And uh, again, you know, this is one of those things where we've looked at it. it. I've not seen anyone really upset about the move. It's been a great move for Golden Gate. I mean, uh, Dr. Orge even laid out the financials the other day. It was kind of cool that they turned an $85 million purchase price uh, for the Mill Valley campus and, and what they got and the value of it now, it's like $125 million, $105 million, something like that. It was like, it was like a 20 to $30 million uh, difference in what incredible. they, what they got and what they have now. So just, just an incredible job, great leadership from Dr. Jeff Orge out there at uh, Gateway Seminary. All right. Well, reminder about our sponsor this week, Design to Lead. Pick up the new book, Design to Lead, from Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck. You can find out all about the book, get a copy, and free resources related to the book at designtolead.com. That's going to bring us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is the Spurgeon Center blog. Now, Amy, have you seen the the blog over at the Spurgeon Center yet? I mean, we we talked about the Spurgeon Center. That's at Midwestern Seminary. Christian George right. running the whole thing, but they've got a blog and it is just like the most fascinating stuff. I am just looking at it right now where you dropped the link in. Yeah. So they had a link this week talking about the reason why America burned Spurgeon's sermons and sought to kill him. Back in the Civil War, people were having big like collections of Spurgeon sermons and books by Spurgeon, taking them down to the, you know, the town square or whatever and burning them. Because no way. He was, yes, because he was fighting against slavery and, and talking against slavery. It talks about this in this article. Wow. Yeah. That's really incredible. And, and there's, a, there's a quote in here, uh, the quote from the Montgomery Mail, uh, which is the Alabama newspaper at Montgomery. Spurgeon is in danger of an auto de fe, the Montgomery Mail, Alabama, says, a gentleman of this city requests us to invite and we do not, and we do hereby invite all persons in Montgomery who possess copies of the sermons of the notorious English abolitionist Spurgeon to send them to the My jail goodness. yard to be burned on next Friday, this day week. A subscription is also on foot to buy of our booksellers all copies of said sermons now in their stores to be burned on the same occasion. Does anybody say nay? And, it, and <laughs> Christian George says, apparently not many said nay. For it was recorded a few days later in the ledger that on February 24th, several volumes of Reverend Mr. Spurgeon's sermons strongly tinctured with anti-slavery and abolition were burned in the jail yard. That's incredible. And I mean, I guess this was at, this was at a time when, uh, you know, you buy these things up and you burn them, you get them out of circulation. We live in this sort of Internet age where we can tweet links out and put things in and there's nothing you can do to make it go away. But this is interesting because I guess it was just this movement to say, we're not going to let people get influenced. We're going to get this out. Um, but they didn't. They were not successful. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just kind of wild. And and Spurgeon, I didn't realize Spurgeon was so anti-slavery. I mean, I knew he kind of was, but I, I mean, there's a right. quote in here from him, and this is the quote from Spurgeon, I do from my inmost soul detest slavery. And although I yep. commune at the Lord's table with men of all creeds, yet with a slaveholder, I have no fellowship of any sort or kind. Whenever one yeah. has called upon me, I have considered it my duty to express my detestation of his wickedness. And I would as soon think of receiving a murderer into my church as a man stealer. I mean, that's, wow. he, he didn't sugarcoat things. Nope. Just throwing that out there. Didn't. Didn't, didn't really sugarcoat yes. things. So, yep. yeah. So this, this blog is full of all kind of stuff about Spurgeon and just some of the things that you just never would have known. I didn't know Spurgeon was a hated man in, in the, the slavery-infused South in the 1860s. So had no idea. Well, I, I know they're doing incredible work uh, there. And Christian George uh, probably just has a treasure trove of information. And so I'm sure there, is, is more, there are more great things to come from this uh, resource. Yep. So check that out at uh, center.spurgeon.org slash weblog. We got the link at spcthisweek.com. So check that out. Uh, just some really cool information over there at uh, the Spurgeon Center blog. Amy, your resource of the week is? So mine is a novel. I am a fiction reader. And so I have a lot of, of new fiction, uh, classic fiction that I, I, I like to read. But I hear lots of chatter that uh, Beth Moore has released a uh, novel. Yeah. Just came out. Um, just came out this week, actually. And uh, I, I hope I'm saying this right. It's The Undoing of St. Sylvanus. Is that correct? That works for me. Okay. And uh, I, I am hearing uh, from, uh, I think Jennifer Lyle wrote a couple of things on this, that it is uh, just incredible, that it's a really, really great story. So uh, this one is going on my list. I don't have it yet, but I uh, am really looking forward to getting it and reading it. Yep. So I've heard nothing but good things about it. Jennifer and Rachel McRae, uh, our book buyer at Lifeway, who is pretty much uh, Miss Fiction. She knows pretty much everything there is about to to know about Christian fiction and I uh, really knows books and knows what works, what's good. And when Rachel says a book is good, you better believe it's, it's good. good. And then when Jennifer echoes it up and says that it's fantastic, Jennifer, yeah. Jennifer doesn't mince words. Um, so no, she, she knows they have an amazing good. taste, amazing taste. So I'm excited and it's really uh, fun to see someone, uh, especially someone who's touched as many lives as uh, Beth has to see, uh, to see her doing something new. And, and so I'm kind of excited, uh, excited about that. Yeah. But do not worry all you Beth Moore fans that listen to us. Uh, she's got a new study coming out this fall. So all right. it's going to be a, a good one as well. So there's a new Beth Moore Bible study, your traditional Beth Moore Bible study coming out this fall, as well as the new fiction book, pick that up, check it out. Uh, I know it's, it's kind of a big thing. So heard great things about it from all over. Okay, so that's going to do it for this week. Amy, uh, what's going on at Southeastern this week? What you got coming up? Uh, we have the Nine Marks Conference. Yes, that's right. That's the 30th and the 1st, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, next uh, Friday and Saturday. It is uh, Mark number eight. Yep. We, we you got to tell Mark when he's there that he's got to yep. come up with some, some more marks. His marketing yeah. is, uh, is, is kind of running out. What can you do? Um, they've done a pretty good job of marketing over the last. Well, he's but he's only got one more. Years or so. He's only got one Truth. more. 
Truth. Uh, but yeah, Robbie Gallaty is going to be here as part of that. And then uh, sort of the traditional group, um, Dr. Aiken, of course, Mark Dever, uh, the BDN Abuile, and a few more people. So You got that it, name right, by the way. Yes. That one. Well, he's been here. He's been to Southeastern enough that you just have to practice. Yeah. You have to. So um, now I'll tell you, we, we had our, our most fun was uh, my favorite nine marks was two years ago when um, Alistair Begg came uh, for two reasons. One, because he found out, I don't even remember how he found out, but he found out that I liked uh, James Taylor and told a story about how he and his wife met James Taylor in an airport and talked to him. It was his wife's birthday and they talked to him for about 30 minutes and it was the greatest story ever. I mean, bird. I mean, Alistair, oh. Alistair Begg is just amazing. Yes. He's one of the nicest yes. guys. Then he, we got the greatest tweet. Um, Sam Morris, uh, who runs social media for us, uh, we were incredibly proud of this. The Our Equip Center hosts a breakfast for Nine Marks, and so the um, the Equip breakfast that year had Alistair Begg and Dr. Aiken. It's usually always just two of the speakers. And so we came up with a tweet that said, um, come have eggs and bacon with Begg and Aiken. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. I know. That's we felt like good. it was we felt like it was some pretty fine work. We were excited. That's but, that's well done. That's well done. Yeah, but you just fall into that. That doesn't happen no, very often. Yeah, I'm so. trying to come up with something with Galatine. It's just not working. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't. I mean, it was just perfect. Like the breakfast, it was just the two of them. They actually were serving eggs and bacon at the breakfast, so it was just you you can't invent those things, but Anyway, that's my nine mark story. We're doing it again next week. That should be exciting. Are you guys streaming that one online? Yes, okay. we will. Because I, I think I remember watching the one from a couple of years ago online. Yep. So, so for for next week's uh, podcast, we can uh, kind of throw into the the show notes at least for a couple of days or whatever. We can throw out the the um, link to the live stream so yep. people can watch. And if you're in the Raleigh area, there's still time to you know register and go. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So check yes. that out. So. All right. Well, and and well, and you can find out more about that one nine marks se dot org. That's nine m a r k s s e dot o r g, and uh, find out more about that that event next week. Um, probably catch the information for the live streaming as well. So, uh, thanks again for joining us this week on SBC. This week, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>